in this cake, but I think I just saw Santa Claus. I made my family disappear. Have a good trip. Bring me back some surprise. Maybe, uh, maybe, I don't want any, maybe, but we've got to find that money. Get me back to my wife and kids. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Good morning, church. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much for spending part of your Christmas season with us. Now, I love Christmas. I don't know if you knew this, but perhaps you know that now. I love Christmas. For the past few years, I've had the opportunity to wear and enjoy my Christmas suits with all our kiddos in Bibleopolis. And I've always wondered, if I ever get that opportunity to preach in December, I'm bringing a suit. So here we are this morning. Thank you for joining us. It is the most wonderful, wonderful time of year. I also love that we're doing Christmas movies. I love, love, love Christmas movies because they're stories and we can relate to stories. So if you've had a chance to look ahead or perhaps you're looking at the sign right over here to my left, you already know what movie we are talking about today and this morning. It is the 1990s John Hughes classic, Home Alone. Now, with Home Alone, I get it. There are some people that really, really love the movie. There's also others that don't really love the movie so much. I totally understand. I look back on my own life. In 1990, when the movie came out, I was a junior in high school. So the idea of an eight or nine-year-old being left in a giant house by his family just didn't quite hit it for me at the moment. If you're about five years younger, if you were in elementary school or even younger, perhaps parents at the time, this was the movie to see. And it was all the rage at the time. Here is an actual fun fact about the movie Home Alone. It is the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. So that is quite impressive for the movie itself. And so chances are, as I look around the room, most of you have seen the movie Home Alone. Myself, I've grown to appreciate it as I've gotten a little bit older. I see the joy and the humor in it. I actually watched it a couple times as I prepared for this weekend and the message. So real quick poll, how many of you have never seen the movie Home Alone? Raise your hand. Not a lot, very impressive. Some of you might be a little embarrassed, like I'm not gonna raise my hand. Either way, that is okay. I was, I was actually thinking if you were about 25 years or younger, the chances would be a little bit lower that you have seen the movie. So whatever the case, let me catch us all up to speed. I'm gonna give you the Chris Franklin one minute rendition of what the movie Home Alone is all about, just in case you forgot, or it's been 30 years since you've seen the movie, whatever that looks like. Here it is. There is a rich family in Chicago that takes their extended family to Paris for Christmas, which makes total sense. Then the night before this trip, Kevin, the main character in the movie, makes some poor choices and gets sent to the attic. There's a power outage. Everyone in the family oversleeps, absolutely everyone. There is a panic of a potential misflight Kevin gets left in the attic. The family goes to the airport and on the plane, mom realizes she forgot something and in one moment of panic, she realizes it was Kevin. Kevin then wakes up, 
thinks he made his family disappear, begins very excited about his new life all on his own in a situation. So there's two burglars that are casing the entire neighborhood. Kevin catches on as an eight-year-old devises the master plan and and puts it into place to perfection to defeat these wet bandits. And then he goes to the church, meets the creepy neighbor, they have an introspective conversation about life, and then he goes home, the plan goes into action at the very end, the neighbor saves Kevin and uh, rescues him, the family comes home, everybody uh, is reunited, and everybody lives happily ever after, the credits roll, and it happens again two years later in New York of all places, but that (laughs) is for another weekend. There is really a lot to unpack there as you look at the entire movie, Home Alone. You know, this is also the first time I've ever been a part of, re- of reading or, or researching or, or preparing for a message about a movie, but I love the idea because movies are stories. When we see a movie, we can relate with different characters. Even as we look at the movie Home Alone, we relate to different people in that movie and we're like, yeah, I can see myself in them. Two weeks ago when we began the series, Pastor Chris talked about the fact that it was all about like parables. Jesus taught in parables because parables were stories. We relate to those moments. So this morning, we're gonna look at the movie Home Alone through the lens as a parable that we can connect scripture to for our own life. Now, when I think about the movie Home Alone, I am immediately drawn to Luke chapter two, when Jesus is in a very similar situation, when Jesus gets left all alone. Now, we're not gonna use this as all the way through our scripture. We're gonna, ta- we're gonna take a right turn here in just a minute, but I think it's foundational that this text serves to set up our theme, to set up uh, our, our context for what we're gonna be looking at today. So if you are willing and able, I'm gonna invite you to stand like we do each and every weekend. It's a little bit longer of a text. It is Luke chapter two, and we're gonna start at verse 41, and we're gonna look through the end to verse 52. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Kind of sounds like our movie. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And they, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, stature and in favor with God and men. There it is. You may be seated. And again, we're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I do wanna unpack a few things there to kind of set up the foundation of what we are going to be talking about. 
So right off the bat, you can see that Mary and Joseph had a Kate and Peter McAllister moment. Perhaps you remember this scene from the movie. What's the matter? Honey? I've a terrible feeling. About what? That we didn't do something. Now you feel that way because we left in such a hurry. We took care of everything. Believe me, we did. Did I turn off the coffee? No. I did. Did you lock up? Yeah. Did you close the garage? That's it. I forgot to close the garage. That's it. No, that's not it. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! So in the hustle and bustle of going from Jerusalem to Nazareth, they forgot Jesus. Now in our context of travel, or at least in my context of travel, it's a little difficult for me to wrap my arms and my mind around that idea of leaving a child or children for that long. We've all experienced those brief moments where we forget about our child for just that brief snapshot of a moment. It might be those moments when we're in a store, we're at a park, or at grandma's for the weekend and we leave them and forget all about them. Whatever that is, it's those, those moments where it's anxiety sets in and we go from like this to this instantly. The heart rate goes up and that even gets elevated if you're in an area where you're like at a beach or a pool or something where your heart starts to think about what could have possibly Happened. I can imagine right now, even as I'm speaking, some of you are reliving moments in your life where you forgot about your kids for those brief moments, or maybe you as a child were forgot about by your parents, and we are processing that together, and we are growing in the moment as you look back on your own life about that time that happened to you. For Jesus, in that moment, it's very understandable how he was left or how he was forgotten, because typically when, when they would travel, there would be two groups. There would be the women and children would go in one group, and the men would go in another group later in the day, and they would catch up in the evening, kind of like the McAllisters when they went to the airport. They took two giant vans with the adults in one van, the kids in another. I've always wondered why the other kids never said a thing. They didn't, didn't even cross their mind that Kevin wasn't in the van with them. But it's very likely that Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph and Joseph thought he was with Mary and they got to that moment where they realized he was forgotten and they had that moment. I love those last two verses of our text that we looked at, verses 51 and 52, after they reconnect with Jesus, and Jesus is like, why do you not know where I was? I had to be in my father's house because I'm all about his business. In verse 51, it says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. 
Now, there are some stark similarities between our two characters, and I love those last two verses. In fact, that last verse, Luke 2.52, is written on the wall in Bibleopolis as families walk down, because we want the same thing for our kids. We want our kids to grow in those three things as well, wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and men, with both God and their peers, their classmates, their neighbors, their friends, and their family We want them to do the same thing that Jesus did. But I see some stark differences between our two characters in in the movie. But the theme I see for the entire movie, Home Alone, that we're going to focus on today is the single word, redemption. Because I feel like the movie is all about redemption. And in that moment, that moment when they found Jesus, there was redemption. They're like, I couldn't, you, you should have known where I was. And the family is reunited. Now, the primary difference between our two, the two characters in our movies, Home Alone and My Parents Left Me in Jerusalem for the weekend, between Kevin and Jesus were, the actions of Kevin led him to being left. Now, I'm not gonna totally excuse Buzz, but this sermon is not about Buzz. Kevin's actions led him to being in that place. And if you also remember, he doubled down on those poor choices as he was being led to the attic. Perhaps you remember this scene from the movie as well. There are 15 people in this house. You're the only one who has to make trouble. I'm the only one getting dumped up. You're the only one acting up. Now, get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. Third floor? Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. Of course, Kevin wakes up in the morning and his family's gone, and he thought he made them disappear. Initially, he loves the idea, but then he realizes there's more to life when you're living on your own, and he learns all about responsibility, and ultimately, at the very end of the movie, he experiences his own redemption. You know, I've had times in my life when I've experienced the pain of poor choices or actions. And it's in moments like these, it's easy to entertain the notion that, you know, I've blown it. This mistake is too big. I can't be, uh, there can be no reconciliation. God can't use me. We all get those feelings when we fail. During these times, I draw strength from God's word, and I can look for encouragement, and we can all look for encouragement of different people and different individuals who have, God has used in wonderful and amazing ways, and they've blown it in such a big, big way, yet God still used them. It would be easy to look at those people and realize, or think of for those moments, God's got to be done with them. 
but that's not in God's nature. He is all about redemption. We can be thankful that God loves a good comeback story. I love in Romans 8, 28, where it says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This gives us hope that no matter what we have done, no matter what decisions, what mistakes, what failures we have, God isn't done with us. God loves a good comeback story. He is reclaiming all of our stories. Now, throughout the movie Home Alone, we see two different character stories unfold. Obviously, there's Kevin McAllister, who is the main character of the movie. We see his poor choices. We saw them right there, and there's a few others on display as well. But there's also another character in that, mo that movie, the creepy neighbor that no one wants to talk to that everyone is scared about. If you remember him, Marley has also his own story of his own poor choices that he has made, which leads us to a conversation that they have in the church, one of the more famous scenes from the movie. Check this out. May I sit down? my granddaughter up there, the little red-haired girl. She's about your age. You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? Yeah. You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you don't forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. Came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers, and I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same, and we haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. 
It's dark. There's weird stuff down there. And it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry. And I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it. But if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it. And he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad, especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot, for your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you, and the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year I got a sweater with a big burr knitted on it. Oh, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Me? Yeah, you and your son. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm sure that as you watch that clip and remember that clip, you might be reliving some things in your life as I am in mine, where poor choices or poor words that were said maybe damaged or broken a relationship. Maybe even with someone you love, maybe even family or friends. And even if you can't relate to that, we can all relate to the fact that we've all damaged and broken our relationship with our Heavenly Father. In the book of Romans 3.23, it says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In our remaining time this morning, I want to unpack a few examples of people that God used and that God restored in spite of their mistakes, in spite of their choices, in spite of their sins. People whose failures were not fatal. The first one I want to look at is King David's sin. There's no question that King David is one of the more important characters in God's word. It's easy to be enamored or look back in, in awe about his exuberance, his excitement about going into battle with Goliath or his friendship with Jonathan or the Psalms that we read and that we sing or even his patience as he was being pursued by King Saul. But if you dig a little further, it's hard to fathom that someone who is so revered in the Bible is guilty of this. He coveted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her, effectively stealing her from Uriah. He lied to him, eventually had him murdered. When the prophet Nathan confronts David, he immediately repents. He confesses his sin and turns to God. And when that, save, that son is born to David and Bathsheba becomes sick, David prays to God. And even though he is not healed, David looks at that as God's judgment on him. The reality for you and I and the lesson and principle that we can learn is very simple. Failure doesn't get 
the last word. When we have sinned, we must recognize it, and we also must repent. God's forgiveness doesn't always save us from the consequences of our conduct, but if we abandon that behavior and turn to him, God can still use us. I love that principle that failure doesn't get the last word. I've lived that out in different points of my life. Many of you may know, if you don't, I'll introduce you right now. Many of you may know my lovely wife, Lisa, whom I have been married to for 28 years. Actually, it is exactly 28 years. Yesterday was our anniversary on a Saturday afternoon. Thank you, that's what I was looking for. 28 years ago, we got married But it wasn't always like that because early on in our relationship, I made some very poor choices that led to a breakup. Here was one of the bigger choices that I made that was bad. I decided and I communicated with her that I didn't see a future where she was in my life. I know, you get it too. That was a dumb, dumb choice. I also got my ear pierced at that time. I don't know, we'll talk about that later. And so a couple months later, as we reconnected, you would think I had that moment that David did with Nathan, where I would go to her and I would say, listen, that was the dumbest mistake I've ever made in my life. Please forgive me. If you thought that, you would be incorrect. I went to her and I reassured her of that conversation we had and reminded her, hey, it's true. I don't see you in my life as we continue. And in that moment, it would be easy for her to, to give up and be like, failure has gotten the last word with you. But I'm very grateful 28 years later and every morning she wakes up and pinches herself and is reminded of that choice that failure doesn't get the last word. Even more so, I am grateful for a heavenly father that loves us bigger than that. That our failure, that our disappointment, our sin doesn't get the last word and he also is redeeming us and reclaiming our story. The second example I wanna look at is the prophet Elijah's breakdown. You remember Elijah, he had a lot of miraculous experiences. After all, he caused the rain to stop for more than three years. He was fed by ravens. He saw the limitless jar of flour and the jug of oil. He witnessed the the resurrection of the widow's son. And everybody, or most of us, should remember the story about him calling down fire for the prophets of Baal from heaven and destroying them. But in that, sh- in that showdown of Baal worshipers, it so angered King Ahab and his wife Jezebel that she said, I'm going to have your life. And you would have thought that faith would have carried him on, but he hightailed it for the wilderness and he fled and it was too much and he ran away. But God met Elijah, he fed him, He comforted him and eventually answered all of his questions in a still, small voice. The principle that we can learn from that is that burnout is only permanent if we allow it to be. We shouldn't listen to everything that you're tempted to believe when you're exhausted. Take time to care for yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. I'm reminded of that scene in Home Alone near the beginning when Marv who is one of the wet bandits, Joe Pesci's character, standing in the entrance to the house. And he's like, do you live here? Do you live here? 
do you live here? And there's kids coming and going, and there's all this commotion going back and forth. And then the pizza shows up, and it's like, it is absolute chaos. Now, what I remember about that is there are sometimes our life is like that when everything is coming at us. And typically, for, at least it was for me, when we had littles at home and we had our kids were small and there was always something going on and it felt like you could never, ever get a breath. Remind yourself, God is with you. God is in your presence. He's still speaking to you in that still, small voice. In those moments of exhaustion, don't give up. Realize God can still use you and you can still be, he can still be glorified through your life. The third example I look at is Paul's awful history. If you remember, Paul had a very bad beginning to his ministry. He, before he became one of the most important people in the New Testament, he was Saul of Tarsus. Not only was he present at the stoning of Stephen, he gave his approval of the murder, and we read about that in Acts chapter seven. From there, Luke tells us that Saul made it his business to destroy the church, going from door to door in Jerusalem, trying to get Christians and throw them in jail. We learn about that in Acts 8, 8, 3. And in Acts 22, 4, we also read about the time when Paul not only put those people in prison, he found out where their mail went, and he would go and get them and put them in prison as well. And on one of these journeys, Christ meets him and the rest is history and he is converted and his life has changed forever. Do you think Paul regretted those things he did before he became a Christian, before he met Jesus? If you remember the words of 1 Timothy chapter 1, here's what it says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The principle that we can learn from there is that the gospel is so powerful that our transformation becomes a profound testimony for God's goodness and grace I look back at my own life and I don't have this miraculous transformation. I grew up in the church, but I've seen it again and again about people who have lived so far from Jesus and they accept Jesus and their life is transformed. Just that example can be such a witness to those around you about God's goodness and grace, about what he can do. And that happened in the Apostle Paul's life. So those experiences can serve as an example for everyone around you and can be a witness to God's love. The final example I wanna look at is Peter's denial for Christ. Peter was the biggest personality in any room. It's no wonder that he'd later join James and John as one of Jesus' closest friends. He was the only one willing to go out of the boat and try to walk on water. He was the first to call Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. But we all know the story about how he had such a failure. Christ, Jesus predicted, Peter, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny me. He, we read about that in Matthew chapter 26. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. But later it does. And at that very last time, he curses and swears. He goes, I don't even know who you're talking about. And he realizes what he's done. He breaks down and weeps bitterly. 
So did Peter's failure exclude him from being used by Jesus? Absolutely not. You can remember, and we read, that Peter was restored on a touching moment on the Sea of Galilee. He was the first one that Jesus appeared to when he was resurrected. And of course, in Acts chapter two, Peter gives the first, the, the, the first evangelical message where over 3,000 people were saved. The principle that we can learn from there is failure doesn't disqualify you, even if you've been following Jesus for a long time. And that's the one I can resonate with so deeply. As I said, I've grown up in the church. I grew up loving Jesus, but I can be reminded of that principle myself, that even when I mess up, even when I fail, even when I break God's heart, he can still use me and I can still be used for his glory. Our stories are still being written. The only way that failure can get the last word in our life is if we choose to allow it. We serve a God that is able to take our defeats and our missteps and only bring glory to his name. You know, when I look back at the movie Home Alone, and there's different times when I've done that and I haven't seen it for a long time, I look back at that movie, the first thing I remember, and probably you as well, are immediately drawn to those times when the wet bandits are in the house. And Kevin comes up with that plan. And, and as I look back on that, and I, I think about all those different moments, I'm like, that has got to be like the whole movie because it seems like it goes on forever and ever and ever. Well, when I watched it, that, the duration of that clip is only 10 minutes long, the entirety of when they're in the house and that whole thing transpires. The actual message of the movie and the theme of the movie happens immediately after that and that's what I want you to check out right now. Cool as you didn't burn the place down. 
Thanks, Buzz. No more of those. Wait a minute. How did you guys get home? Oh, we took the morning flight, remember? The one you didn't want to wait for? Oh, no. Merry oh, 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 thank uh, Merry you. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay. Well, someone has to find an open store. We don't even have milk here. I went shopping yesterday. You shopping? I got the milk, eggs, and fabric softener. No kidding. What a funny guy. What else did you do while we were away? Just hung around. You went shopping? Yeah, he doesn't know how to tie his shoe. He's going shopping? If I were to summarize our parable of Home Alone, it's the single word redemption. Our mistakes, our failures, our sin doesn't get the last word. God can still use us and God can still redeem us. And I love the scene that we have a father with open arms waiting for us to receive us. Will you pray? Father God, we thank you for the way you love us and we are so grateful Grateful that you are a God of second, third, fourth chances. That you love us so much that you sent your one and only son to redeem us and that our failure doesn't get the last word. And your arms are open, waiting to receive. Thank you for your love and loving us so big. We thank you for Jesus and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen.